Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. Well, it wasn't but a week later, he catches him and Sandra having sex. And Dad was so close to Kelly. Kelly was like his soul mate. It was like a forbidden love thing. They had this deep, profound love for each other that they never acted on, my dad and Kelly. Everyone knew it. Everybody just, it, it, it is what it was. And dad was like, you sorry motherfucker. Sorry for my language. What, what the fuck is wrong with you? Your wife just died. And when he caught them together, it was like, how dare you do that to Kelly and do that to your son? He couldn't believe it. So he goes home, he's drinking, and he's just brewing in his thoughts over it. It's pissing him off. So he goes, he gets really drunk. He goes back down there and he confronts Chris. And they're both screaming. I mean, of course, these two are like brothers, you know, but, and this, uh, it's not a normal thing, but it wasn't kind of unheard of, you know, or something that people would be like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. You know, it just, they had their falling out and Chris was, I'll kill you, motherfucker. And dad's, I'll fucking kill you, you know, and he's, I can't believe you did this to Kelly. Just a lot of everything that dad was going through, he took all of it out, all of his anger out on Chris. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Fanick. I'm sitting here with Alexis Linkletter. And before we get into today's really fascinating, crazy story, I just wanted to remind you that if you're done with all of your true crime content, you got to join us over on Patreon. We've got lots and lots of stuff going on there, don't we, Lex? Yeah, we have several. When I say several, I mean many, many full-length true crime episodes. We've been banking them for over a year. And they're really fascinating stories. Most of them are listener submissions. Yeah. And that means if there's a case that's interesting to you that you want covered and you want to do a deep dive on, send it over to us and we'll do it for you. And you can listen to them on Patreon. Absolutely. And I want people, you know what, we've been doing some kind of unknown cases, not unknown, but lesser known cases there. But if anybody wants us to do like a deep dive into a crazy infamous case, I'm very into that idea too. I know. I would love an opportunity to do that because I never really think of going on, you know, down rabbit holes on well-known stories. Yeah. So please give us an opportunity to. Yeah. I was listening to last podcast on the left and they were talking about the Tylenol murders. And I'm like, that would be an interesting deep dive because still unsolved. I can't believe that. Crazy case. So sad. 
so insane. All right. Well, I think that that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights and turn up your anxiety because this could be you. When our enemies hurt us, we expect it. The pain doesn't sting quite so badly because we're not surprised by it. You don't ask the wasp not to sting you because you expect it to. It's a wasp. But when our friends hurt us, that's different. It's life-changing. It's heartbreaking. Our friends are people who we've chosen to love, chosen to include in our families. So when the trust between two friends is shattered, it's debilitating. It's earth-shattering. The stuff of Shakespearean tragedies. You can practically feel the betrayal slice into your being. And it doesn't matter how many late nights you've spent with that person. It doesn't matter how many deep conversations you've had, how many secrets you've told, or how often you've turned to them in hard times. Once someone's trust is lost, it's almost impossible to regain. So what happens then? Well, normally we ignore that person, that ex-friend. We pretend we don't see them at our usual haunts. We live and we let live, even if we're a little bit worse for it. But that's not always the case. Sometimes two ex-friends double down an ongoing fight where many innocents are caught in the crossfire. Families, churches, communities, and even entire towns can sometimes get lost in the feuds of two determined and maligned people. So how does it end? Well, if it's anything like a real Shakespearean tragedy, there's only one path to a resolution, death. So today's case begins on February 8th of 2020, and I'm sure you all remember this is the very, very beginning of the pandemic, or what we like to call the before times. This is before schools closed and businesses shut down. And actually on this very day, February 8th, the CDC is developing COVID test kits, you know, just in case. And in music, The Box by Roddy Rich sits at number one, while Life is Good by Future featuring Drake follows closely behind. And in theaters, Sonic the Hedgehog and Birds of Prey both both released to great box office success. And the setting for today's case is Bigelow, Arkansas. Located in the eastern part of Perry County, Bigelow is an incredibly small town. In fact, as of 2021, it only had 347 people living there. Around the same time, Bigelow was incorporated in 1905. A lumber company began operating along the nearby Fourche-Lafave River. Within a few years, the lumber industry took hold of Bigelow. They even had 600 residents around 1910 because the lumber business was booming. But eventually, the lumber companies cut down most of the trees and took their business elsewhere. Today, Bigelow is known as a slower-paced country town. And our first degree for today's case is named Stacy. And Stacy lived about an hour away from Bigelow. And this was really handy because her father, Steve, lived in Bigelow. And an hour's drive was pretty reasonable for Stacy to visit her dad every so often. And throughout Stacy's life, she and her dad, Steve, were always really close. And here's Stacy telling us about him. Oh, my gosh. He was so cool. A little bit of backstory for him. His parents, they had eight children. He was one of four boys and he had four sisters. I think he quit school in like ninth grade or something and started working. And he worked. He was a hardworking man. I mean, he was always working, like almost every single day, you know, never one to sit inside and watch TV. You know, he's always working with his hands. Also growing up, he rode bulls. He was big into rodeos. He had this thing about him. And I'm sure you've been around people like this, people that walk into a room and it's like the lights get brighter. You know, you just can feel their presence and a joy that they just emit off of them. He was one of those people. According to Stacy, 
Steve's dad, her grandfather was abusive. But one of the things that Stacy appreciated about her dad, Steve, was that despite his difficult childhood, he went out of his way to be kind-hearted. My grandfather was a terrible man. <laughs> he was a mason, but on the very bad side of it, he molested all of his children and did a lot of really, really bad things. So my dad got away from there as, at a young age as quickly as he can. He's still associated with my grandfather, you know, because it's family, you know, like, but he didn't remain close as like some of the family, like we would have like a Sunday dinner every Sunday, the family would come over, but my dad never did because he just couldn't be around his dad. Like they just had this animosity. I mean, my grandfather has shot at my dad and stuff. I mean, he had a rough upbringing, but he didn't let that deter him from going on and being a good man. But Steve took his life challenges and turned them into stories. And that's what a lot of people remember about Steve, his ability to tell a fantastic story. People growing up back then, especially here down in the South, and especially with his family, he wasn't really taught that it's okay to say I love you. And my grandfather that raised him, you know, was not a man that, like, you're a sissy if you if you say things like that, you know. So even though he didn't express his emotions verbally, he really was expressing his authentic side, like who he really was deep down. But he was that person that he was a storyteller. He was very good at telling stories about his life and experiences in a way that even the really horrible stories and things that he endured as a child or growing up or just situations that he'd been in in life, he could tell them in a way that you didn't feel like you wanted to walk away from the story. He brought just joy to everything. And Steve worked hard to bring joy to others. If anyone in Steve's community needed help, he was happy to help them, especially if it was a problem he could solve by fixing something. People that know him, though, that were friends with him and knew him, they could tell you, like, oh, yeah, I met your dad one time. And it's like he just had that presence. It just felt so good to be around him. And he was one of those people. Even though he was a man's man and very country, he fixed anything. Like if something went wrong or if somebody was going through something and he knew that they didn't have the money or the means, like he would just be there for them. If they had a problem, they had, you know, issues with their plumbing that need to be fixed, he'd go fix it. If there was something going on with their house that he could fix with his hands, he would fix it. He was that person. In the early 1980s, Steve was in his 20s and working in siding, and that's when he met Stacy's mom. Ultimately, Steve and Stacy's mom decided that they weren't a good fit and they went their separate ways. Sometime after that, Steve left his home state of Arkansas, and that's when he headed west for Texas. In Texas, Steve found a high-paying job with his brother, but eventually Steve returned to his life and family in Arkansas. He moved to Bigelow with his longtime girlfriend. And around the time they broke up in the early 2000s, Steve moved to a new house. There, Steve began throwing big parties to raise money for people in Bigelow. And Steve wasn't doing these fundraisers because he had to or anything. He was just doing it because he wanted to help. And... 2005, he moved to the river and he started having these really big get-togethers. Every year for my birthday, his birthday, and his best friend Kelly's birthday, he'd have this big birthday party for us. And he'd have these big celebrations throughout the year. Say there was someone in the community that had cancer or some kind of medical issue that cost a lot of money and they didn't have the money or whatever. He would throw these big you can call them parties, a big get-together, and he would raise money for these people. And that, I feel like, spoke 
to his heart. Like he had a huge heart, even though he didn't express it. Like he loved people. He wanted to help people, especially people in unfortunate situations. So around this time, Steve began working for a family-owned business in Bigelow, and it was called Carden Sod Farm. And according to their website, they're a retail and wholesale sod grass operation. And while working there, Steve reconnected with one of the members of the Carden family, and his name was Chris Carden. Steve and Chris were actually friends back in the day. Right. And now that Steve was working for Chris's family, they'd picked up right where they'd left off. At this time, Chris was married to his wife, Kelly Carden. And Kelly was an amazing, charming woman with a quick smile, and she got along with everyone. So of course, Steve and Kelly got along really well too. And for a while, Steve, Chris, and Kelly were practically inseparable. And it's important to know that the Carden Sod Farm was well-known in this really small town. The business stimulated the economy, it brought in money, provided jobs, and everything. So the Carden family was kind of a big deal in Bigelow. And because Chris was Chris Carden of the Carden Sod Farm, Steve, Chris, and Kelly became a little bit like small-town celebrities, at least in the sense that the locals generally knew who Steve, Chris, and Kelly were, and everyone knew that they had each other's backs. So in 2002, around that time, Dad started working for the Carden Sod Farm. He'd worked there all the way up until 2015. Him and Chris became like brothers. I mean, closer than brothers, like they were best friends. But Dad also was really good friends with Kelly. There was some kind of bond between them two. I mean, Dad helped them build their house. He was like the right-hand man of the Cardins. So, you know, Chris was, uh, everybody in the community knew him too. Just like they knew Dad, they knew Chris, Kelly, they knew the Cardins because they were a big part of that county with the sod farm and all of that. So here we have the Bigelow Three Musketeers. You've got Steve, who was the most helpful guy you'd ever meet in a cowboy hat, and Kelly, who was an absolute gem. And Chris, well, our first-degree Stacy thought that Chris, we'll say, had a lot of opinions. Definitely he was always a shit talker. He was one of those people that when he would get drunk, he'd make you feel uncomfortable. And this isn't just coming for me because so many people have told me the same things, you know, like he would also mumble, he'd get drunk and mumble. And you're like, what are you even trying to say to me? I can't understand. You just have to nod your head and say, yeah, okay. You know, like whatever, Chris, but his wife, she was something special. And I don't know how those two ended up together, but I was thankful they did because dad and her were really close too. And Chris would be like, Steve, I need you to do this for Kelly or Kelly, I need you to do this for Steve. You know, like Kelly would run errands for dad and they just became really close. Even though Steve, Chris and Kelly had very different personalities, their friendship seemed like it would last forever. I mean, why wouldn't it? At this time, Kelly and Chris had two sons and their younger son's name was Tristan. And when Tristan was in his teen years, he began dating a young woman. And her name was Sandra Rappold. But unfortunately, Kelly was not much of a fan of his son's new girlfriend. Kelly thought Sandra was bad news. Tristan was dating Sandra in high school. And I remember being told that Kelly found out about it and she didn't like Sandra. So she didn't want her son around him. Sandra was, I guess, a menace in a way. She graduated at 16. So she, I guess, had extra time on her hands. And she lived on a farm and they had cattle she was a tomboy. She was very much in her masculinity. A lot of people told me that she would start fights for no reason. Like several people told me like her weapon of choice was a gun and a pistol. And if you got on her bad side, she's going to come and she's going to confront you with a pistol in your face. So she just had this reputation, you know, for that, like stuff like that. Kelly thought her son Tristan could do better. 
she just was more like a calamity Jane, I guess you could say. She yeah. used, like drove her truck, like bulldozed down a big, huge metal gate and just did a lot of stuff. And Tristan's a sweet boy. They didn't go together, you know, and and Kelly's like, why is she wanting to hang out with you? And why are you wanting to hang out with her? I'm like, I don't want you around that girl. She's had a reputation, like a, not a good one. She just wasn't a good influence, I guess you could say. Around this time, Kelly was battling cancer. Her friends and family rallied around her day after day, especially Stacy's dad, Steve. He was there for Kelly all the way to the end, perhaps even more than Kelly's own husband, Chris, was. Chris wasn't there for Kelly a lot during her final days. Dad was. And dad was really there for her more than Chris throughout the entirety of it. Many people have told me, you know, it was dad would go with Kelly to like Tristan's ball games and stuff. And, you know, Chris was out drinking and doing his thing like he didn't care to be around. My dad saw Tristan as he would see his own child, you know, because he was with that family more than he was his own family. I mean, they lived within a mile of each other, down the road from each other. Tragically, Kelly lost her battle with cancer. And on February 3rd of 2015, 50-year-old Kelly Annette Orr Cardin died. Her obituary stated that she loved her family and was known for her independence. And that her favorite t-shirt said, I'm not rude, I just say what everyone else is thinking. Dad was heartbroken over it. I mean, he was heartbroken when Kelly died. Like, the light in his eyes left him. And Dad was really going through it with Kelly's death. Like, he was having a time processing it, even for years after that. The city of Bigelow mourned Kelly Cardin, but life continued onward as it does. That was until one day that same year, in August of 2015, when Stacy's dad, Steve, discovered that Chris was dabbling in drugs, in meth specifically. Steve had been suspicious that Chris was on drugs for a while. Even in the days before Kelly died, Chris had been behaving oddly. Chris started acting different. You know, my dad had been around this man since 2002. They were like thick as thieves, like they were always together, you know, and Yes, Chris drank, but drugs was something of Chris's past. Dad knew that Chris had done like meth and things like that in the past, but that he'd recovered. He didn't mess with that. And there were a lot of people in that town that did, you know, and dad would straight up tell him. And a lot of people thought he was an asshole because of it. But he'd say, get the fuck off my property. You don't belong here. If anybody was on that stuff and I commend him for it. Dad was very, very, very much against meth. And anybody that did it, when he caught him doing meth, he was like, you're better than this. Like, what the fuck yeah. are you thinking? But in the past, Steve had experienced his own struggles with alcohol addiction. So Steve probably had empathy for Chris's drug problem. And plus, Steve cared for Chris. He was his friend. And they were really, at this point, as close as brothers. And Chris had lost his beloved wife, Kelly, so recently. So Steve understood that Chris was going through a really, really hard time. Steve himself was likely going through a hard time, too, because, of course, Steve missed Kelly as well. Steve talked to Chris about the whole mess. And at the end of the day, Steve gave Chris another chance. If Chris could get his drug problem under control, Steve would stick around and continue to be his friend. But then Steve caught Chris doing something he shouldn't have been doing for a second time. And this time, it wasn't meth. It wasn't drugs. In fact, you could say arguably he'd caught Chris doing something that was much worse. But a week later, he catches him and Sandra having sex. I want to be really clear here. Steve caught Chris sleeping with his own son's 18-year-old girlfriend, Sandra. Just making sure we're all on the same page. 
This is disturbing for many reasons. And of course, it was for Steve, too, once he found out. Dad was so close to Kelly. Kelly was like his soul mate. It was like a forbidden love thing. They had this deep, profound love for each other that they never acted on, my dad and Kelly. Everybody mm-hmm. knew it. Chris knew it. Everyone knew it. Everybody just, it is what it was. And dad was like, you sorry motherfucker. Sorry for my language. What What the fuck is wrong with you? Your wife just died. And when he caught them together, it was like, how dare you do that to Kelly and do that to your son? He couldn't believe it. So this is wrong on so many levels. Steve and Kelly had kept their romantic feelings for each other quiet out of respect for Chris and his family, and they never acted on them once. But now Chris wasn't offering similar respect for Steve, Kelly, or for his own son for that matter. And to add insult to injury, Kelly had never liked Sandra when she was dating their son. She'd told Kristen to stop dating her multiple times, but Tristan could never have expected this. I mean, nobody could have. It's really shocking. And especially, you know, considering that Tristan had just lost his mom. Yeah. A betrayal like this on the heels of losing a parent by your other parent. I mean, I can't imagine. This is like... You can't even imagine this. It's like most of the stuff in this episode, to be honest... You're like, this wouldn't happen if you Stranger wrote this. Stranger than fiction kind of yeah. shit. If you wrote this, you'd be like, this isn't believable, but this actually happened. <sighs> so needless to say, after Steve caught Chris with Sandra, he was upset. Not just because Steve loved Kelly, but just the whole disgust at the fact that Chris would do this to his own son. You know, a good friend would call you out on something like this, right? So after he found out, he went home and he got drunk and he confronted Chris and it didn't go well. The two men weren't violent or anything, but they really had it out, yelling, screaming, name calling the whole nine yards. And it was this moment that marked the beginning of the end of their decades long friendship. They had their falling out and Chris was, I'll kill you, motherfucker. And dad's, I'll fucking kill you, you know, and I can't believe you did this to Kelly. Everything that dad was going through, he took all of it out, all of his anger out on Chris. So by the time the dust had settled, Chris's family had called the cops on Steve and eventually, Steve was convicted on a couple minor charges, and Stacy picked him up from jail that night. And by this point, it was crystal clear. Steve and Chris's friendship was over, and there was no going back. It must have really infuriated Chris that Dad caught him, and Dad was the one to find it out and call him out on it. Because Chris thought he was going to get away with that, and he was going to stay sneaky and hide all of this. Having a feud with a prominent member of a small town community is already challenging. It's worse when the person you're feuding with is your ex-best friend. I mean, there are only 300 people in Bigelow, Arkansas. So not only are you going to run into your ex-friend at the grocery store, but the whole town is kind of in on what's happening, part of the drama, and likely taking sides. And that's why Stacy was a little bit worried for her dad. After all, the Cardins were a prominent family in Bigelow. And Steve was probably now Chris Cardin's number one enemy. Stacy hated that people might be rude or mean to her dad, but she never thought that the situation would really escalate into something crazy or that somebody could really get hurt at all. On Sunday, February 9th of 2020, Stacy had plans with her dad. Her family was going to drive to his house that morning and then go do some target practice. When her dad's friend Floyd called Stacy early that morning, she figured it wasn't anything important, so she didn't pick up. We were all going to meet down there at Dad's, and we're going to shoot guns and just, you know, hang out by the river. So the next morning at 7.13 a.m., 
Lloyd calls my phone, and I'm like, it's too early. I'm not getting up yet. I'm not going down there yet. But then he calls my husband's phone, and I'm like, okay, something's wrong. Lloyd had news, and it was terrifying news. He told Stacy that her dad's house had burned down, and nobody had been able to find him. I jump up out of the bed, and the first word to get as my husband, I said, it's the fucking Cardins. I knew it. I knew it the second I heard him say his house was burned down. I was like, the Cardins did this. And we were, like, trying to race to get ready, to throw some clothes on, scoop up my daughter that's in bed, and haul ass an hour away to my dad's place. And, you know, my husband's trying to the whole way there, like, no, you calm me down. But I knew. I knew. On our way there, we get another call from Floyd. And he says, we've found blood, a lot of blood. And so we're freaking out. And I just knew that one of the Cardins had gotten to him. Where was Steve Faison? Was he alive? Was he okay? Was that his blood that was found at the scene? Or was that someone else's? What had happened to him and why? And if something had happened, who was responsible? So to answer all these questions and more, you know the drill. We're going back. Okay, so to put everything into perspective, Steve caught Chris being intimate with Sandra in August of 2015. And at that point, Steve and Chris's ongoing feud began. Except this feud wasn't like a normal feud between two ex-friends, you know, where you pretend like you don't see each other from across the bar or something like that. This feud was more like Steve and Chris were mortal enemies. And according to Stacy, from 2015 until 2019, Chris and Sandra kind of terrorized Steve. And maybe this is in an effort to keep Steve from telling the town about their own illicit love affair. They were just doing really fucked up things to my dad. They bulldozed his mailbox down. They set his mailbox on fire. These all happened different dates. They put a snake in his mailbox, highly venomous snake that's alive. They poisoned his dog. It's almost like keep your mouth shut. I mean, my dad made police reports on many of these things. Did they do anything? No. But... It's almost like warnings, if you will, like just a reminder, don't tell what you know, I guess. After a while, Chris and Sandra decided to go public with their relationship. We're not sure how this would have impacted Chris's son, Tristan. I'm sure he wasn't thrilled by any of it. And we can imagine it was painful for him to watch his dad openly steal his girlfriend. I can't imagine it. It's truly baffling. Especially because, according to Stacy, Sandra had been having an affair with Chris long before they were caught by Steve, perhaps even while Sandra was still dating Tristan. And apparently the affair between Chris and Sandra was happening even before Kelly died of cancer. You know, Kelly, who was Chris's late wife, this whole situation is so fucked up. And Stacy and others suspected that Sandra was never even interested in Tristan to begin with. I think they were sneaking around. Because we've learned since that when Kelly was in the hospital or, you know, on hospice, when she was pretending to be dating Tristan, she was actually doing all that to be with Chris. So Chris and her had a relationship before she was 18 when Kelly was still alive. Dad didn't even know that then. He had suspected it, but he didn't know it. He just knew that Tristan and Sandra were dating, and she would be over there quite a bit, but supposedly for Tristan. According to Stacy, Chris and Sandra were super toxic together, which isn't that surprising. 
giving the way their relationship started, their age gap, and just the general what the actual fuck of all of this. Well, needless to say, Chris and Sandra weren't the picture of a healthy relationship. She had this obsession with Chris. They had this very toxic relationship. They were like the beat the fuck out of each other and then go have wild, crazy sex. People said that when they would come over to the gardens, she'd answer the door naked. I mean, no coot, did not care. At this time, she's probably 18, 19, 20. I mean, she's with a man that's my dad's age. So my dad was 57 when he died. And she's with a, a man old enough to be her dad. Chris might actually be older than her actual dad. And so she's just a different kind of human being. Like her psyche would be a fascinating case for a psychologist. And if we're just passing them out, let's get a psychological study for Chris as well. So according to Stacy, Chris cheated on Sandra with yet another woman, and that woman became pregnant with Chris's child. So what did Sandra do? Did she move out? Did she leave him? Did she find a new boyfriend? Nope, none of the above. Instead, Sandra took an axe to Chris's pickup truck, kind of Carrie Underwood style if you know the song, only with an axe, not a key or a Louisville slugger or whatever else the song says. The girl he cheats on Sandra with is pregnant. And so Sandra lost her shit. Plus, she's on meth and different drugs, but she's also kind of crazy. So she's on top of Chris's truck with an axe, and she's taking an axe to it from, I believe, midnight until 8.30 a.m. That's how long she stayed on top and, like, walking around his truck just with an axe. I think that's when she snapped, kind of, if you want to call it that, was around that time because she started making threats to the baby mama. She would text her and say, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to cut that baby out of your belly and bathe in your blood, shit like that. So this was like August of 2019. Unbelievable. So where we are at this point, Chris and Sandra's relationship was now on again, off again. And Stacy's dad, Steve and Chris still hated each other with a burning passion. But you need to know that on December 31st of 2019, Steve had sent out a group text on Facebook Messenger to a huge group of people. And it was just kind of one of those, you guys get those annoying messages from your uncle or (laughs) put you in a group text with 100 people just saying, Happy New Year, best witches, like this happens to me. Yeah, it is. But it's a very dad move, right? Very boomer. So the message read, Happy New Year's, and it was to all these people. And one of the people in this text or this group message was Sandra. Steve didn't mean anything by this. Maybe it was a mistake, or maybe he was just extending an olive branch in a really passive way, right? But regardless, he didn't expect a response at all. So imagine Steve's shock when Sandra responded to that Happy New Year's text over two weeks later. So on January 17th, Sandra asked Steve, what made you text me? And Steve responded, to be a friend. Sandra asked, why would you want to be my friend after everything that happened? And Steve replied, you're okay. Call me one day. And he included his phone number. He just wanted peace. And dad had told me multiple times. He just wanted peace. He didn't wish any harm for Chris. None of them. He just wanted peace with everybody. But they'd been fucking with him for years, doing just different stuff. And he didn't feel safe even driving past his driveway. Not that he didn't feel safe. He just knew it'd cause problems if he drove past his own driveway, you know, to Cardin territory, if you will. About a week later, Sandra did call Steve. Twice, actually. And when Steve didn't pick up the phone either time, Sandra texted him five times. Then she tried to call Steve again. After that, on January 22nd of 2020, Sandra showed up at Steve's house uninvited. And she wasn't alone. Her friend, Mae Blevins, had tagged along too. And again, Mae Blevins sounds like a made-up name. 
but it isn't. (laughs) It really does. So at this point, keep in mind that Steve hasn't responded to any of Sandra's attempts to communicate like at all. He didn't respond to her text messages. He didn't call her back. So when Sandra came pounding on Steve's door at midnight with May, he didn't open it. And to be clear, Steve doesn't have to. It's not like Steve owed Sandra anything. So the question became, why was Sandra still contacting Steve after he'd spent weeks avoiding her? It's almost like she suddenly got this obsession with my dad. And we didn't understand it because I was there at my dad's every weekend, my husband and I, and my dad's phone would ring and he'd be like, it's that crazy bitch, Sandra. And there were times I was like, let me answer the phone and tell her to just stop. I didn't know her, but I'm like, dude, leave my dad alone. Because it sounded kind of like in the messages, like, she was trying to get close to my dad. Like one of the messages was, I'm just trying to find a good time. And several people that were friends with dad think that she was wanting to get back at Chris for him cheating on her. What better way to get back at him than to sleep with his enemy who used to be his best friend, Steve, you know? So we thought that's what she's trying to do. And we all were like, she's just trying to start drama. After Steve didn't let Sandra in his house, when she showed up unannounced, Sandra sent the following text to Steve. I honestly thought you would open the door. It's the only time we could sneak away to talk. I'm sorry. I thought you would want to. I really could have used some advice and I needed to know some truths. I never get the real story. If that message is confusing to you, well, don't worry. Everyone was confused, including Stacy and her dad, Steve. What truth was Sandra referring to? Well, then she starts asking him about like I just want the truth about the everything I want to know the truth and dad's like the truth about what because that's what he's telling my husband and I like what the, what is she talking about the truth about what what truth is she wanting and I'm like fuck I don't know I guess you're gonna have to ask her I don't know what truth she's wanting because she's a, one of those people that gets obsessed she's got this obsessive uh trait to her personality and so it was an obsession you know she did not stop Between December 31st and January 24th, Sandra texts Steve almost 20 times, and Steve only responded three times. Steve didn't want any part of Sandra or her plot to get revenge on Chris for cheating. God, it really does seem like that's what she was doing. Like, let me piss off Chris by sleeping with the one person that would devastate him. You know, it's just, it seems like the craziest idea, but... Given what we know about the story so far, it's not unrealistic, right? No, it seems to fit right into everything that's going on. Totally. And like Steve sent this group message, like it was like an olive branch. So it's like the last thing he wants is to double down and make this feud even worse, right? Yeah. He wanted the torment and the terrorizing to stop. He didn't want to make it worse. He wasn't pouring fuel on this fucking crazy fire. On Saturday, February 8th of 2020, Steve decided he was done with Sandra's cryptic messages and near-stalking tendencies. Dad calls me 2.30 that afternoon, and he says, I'm going to put a stop to this shit today. The whole Sandra messaging him, coming to his house, all of that. He said, because she's going to end up getting my ass shot. Because Chris would go after people that he thought Sandra was messing with. They both were very toxic like that. So he's like, I don't need any more problems with Chris. You know, I don't need this shit to be stirred back up. I've been trying to seek peace for years since 2015. I'm going to put a stop to it. So that was the last time I talked to him. The next day, on Sunday, February 9th of 2020, Steve's house had been burned to the ground. And Steve was absolutely nowhere to be found. 
When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program. And it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree 50 and use code degree 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. At 5.45 a.m. on Sunday, February 9th, local authorities responded to a call about Steve Faison's house being on fire. At around 7 o'clock in the morning, Stacy and her husband found out about the fire and they arrived at Steve's house in Bigelow at around 8 a.m. And as soon as Stacy and her husband got there, Stacy's gut was screaming at her. She knew in her heart that this was no accident. She knew that her dad had been murdered. So we get there, his house is leveled. I mean, it's ashes and rubble, and there's so many people raking through there. Like, the whole crime scene was contaminated, you know, but everybody's looking for him. 
I flip out because I already know. It's just, I don't know if you call it a daughter's intuition or just the fact that I knew the whole history. I just knew and I went up to the cop and I screamed in his face, go down there. And I was pointing, you know, like down toward the cart and because he's just standing there with his hands in his pocket and I'm pissed. I'm like, nobody's doing anything. Y'all are raking through a rubble that there's clearly not a body there. But go find my dad. He's going to be down at the gardens. Y'all need to go find him. You might can save him if you get your freaking asses down there. Like, I was livid. And the cop just says, well, we really think that he perished in the fire. And I know that's hard to hear. And I'm like, no, he didn't. There's no bones in that fire. He's not there. Somehow, Stacy was certain that the authorities were going to find her father's body on Chris Carden's land. And Stacy was right. That's exactly where he was. We're waiting for hours, hours and hours. The state police are out there. They're going to do the investigation right, and they're going to block off the entire premises. So we're just on the long driveway, you know, past the gate, waiting. It's pouring down rain, mind you, okay? It has started pouring. Like, the sky has fallen out. Anything that was any good evidence is getting contaminated. So finally, the main investigator over in the state police investigators that were there comes down and tells us that we have found a body. We found a body in a dump pile out in the middle of the woods, this big, huge pile of just garbage that the Cardins had. They found a body and he couldn't tell us how he died or anything. That same day, the police identified this body as none other than 57-year-old Steve Ray Faison. Stacy had suspected it all along. But still, hearing the confirmed news that her father had been killed, it's devastating. People are crying, and I'm trying to hold it together. I think a part of me, like, kind of snapped that day because it was like, my dad was my best friend. Like, I loved that man. He didn't deserve that. Like, I loved him so much. And I remember, I feel like everybody was probably like, this chick's losing her mind. She's losing it. And maybe I just felt like I looked like I was losing it. There's people that have told me they thought that I handled it really well. But I remember hearing screams and I thought I heard my dad scream, help me. And I remember running out my dad's gate and running down the road. And I was like, somebody get to him. Like, do y'all not hear him? He's screaming. He's screaming for help. And everybody's like, well, you don't hear what you what you hear. My whole life changed in that instant. Everything just was different. It went from this was supposed to be a really good day. We had these trips planned to go camping, to just do a lot of family stuff together that we never got to do. But inside, it's I'm in the twilight zone. This is a dream. This isn't real. This cannot be real. And I had this, like, rage inside of me like I was so angry at the officers I was so angry at the Cardins I was angry because the police were not doing any like they just didn't weren't doing anything and none of it was making sense you know and I was telling them you know the Cardins did this and he just would at that point after I'd said it so many times would just stare at me and like not even say anything so at this point the investigation into Steve's murder began They found blood on the ground near Steve's fire pit, which was about 75 feet away from his house. They found blood on some beer cans on Steve's property and more blood on an outdoor sink. Later, the medical examiner would determine Steve's cause of death to be a stab wound. So obviously, whoever stabbed Steve clearly was trying to wash themselves off. 
Deputies also discovered three five-gallon containers, which, based on their smell, was probably used to hold diesel fuel. But now they were empty. So it's likely that somebody had dumped the fuel throughout Steve's house before they lit it on fire in an attempt to destroy any evidence surrounding the murder, like as an accelerant. Then the police had their break in the case. According to the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, an anonymous tipster told the police who had killed Steve and who had hidden the body in the Cardin Sod Farm dump. And that person was none other than the now 22-year-old Sandra Marie Rapold. On Monday, February 10th, Sandra was brought in for questioning and admitted to the authorities that she had in fact killed Steve, disposed of his body, and set his house on fire to get rid of the evidence the day before. And then the next day, Sandra was arrested. Sandra was charged with capital murder, abuse of a corpse, tampering with physical evidence, arson, and more. She was held in the Perry County Detention Center with a steep bond of a million dollars. And Sandra couldn't afford that bond, so she remained in jail awaiting her trial. Even though Sandra's motive was never confirmed by the authorities, based on the evidence available, Stacy thinks that Sandra's motive was twofold. And for the first fold, it turns out that that truth that Sandra kept messaging Steve about wasn't really about a truth at all. Instead, it might have been a lie that Sandra had heard from Stacy's brother, Todd. Yeah, Stacy's brother, Todd, had been spending time with Sandra. So this is confusing, right? Because Todd is obviously the son of Steve. But this was in fact happening. In fact, Todd had been staying with the Cardin family up until January of 2020. So Sandra would have seen Todd around when she was with Chris. And for months around this time, Todd had actually dated Sandra's friend, May Blevins, the one who I said had a fake sounding name. So because Todd was dating May, he was spending time with Sandra and Chris, even though they hated his father, Steve. So this is kind of very much like an Arkansas Shakespearean tragedy. So try to try to keep following, but it's wild. And this is the same May Blevins who showed up uninvited at Steve's house with Sandra just a few weeks before. Right. And Todd was not on good terms with his father, Steve, at all. Stacy thinks it's because Todd struggled with drug addiction, and we all know how Steve felt about drug addiction. He just wasn't going to stand for it, especially not with Todd, who had an alleged history of lying to get whatever he wanted, according to Stacy. So when Todd was spending all this time with Sandra, May, and the Cardins, these people who openly hated his father, Steve, Todd began to tell them exactly what they wanted to hear about Steve. Bad things. That Steve was a terrible person who abused Todd. We think that apparently my brother supposedly told a bunch of stuff about my dad. He was pissed at my dad. My dad wouldn't let him stay there or anything. Then the Cardins had told Todd, I'm, we're going to kill your dad. And in a Facebook message from Sandra to Steve sent on January 24th, Sandra wrote, You know Todd, and you know he'll talk about absolutely everything, but I'm just letting you know, May claims he told her all about the kinds of abuse from you and your family one night when he got really doped up. That's why I wanted to talk to you myself. Everyone wants to believe these things about you, and I wanted to know the truth. I don't need some dumbass feud brought back up. We were all just fine until Todd showed up here. I would really like to keep anything that's said private. My ass would be grass, and neither of us needs the drama. But why would anyone believe Todd, who was known for manipulating others, when he accused Steve of abusing him? Well, here's where it gets more complicated. So years ago, in October of 2013, Steve actually went on trial for multiple charges of rape, sexual assault, and sexual abuse against two girls. The events in question allegedly happened between 1995 and 2004, but 
Steve was found not guilty on all counts, so acquitted. According to Stacy, the original allegations were founded in anger, not truth. And that's because everybody in Bigelow, including the Cardins, knew that Steve had had his trial, although he'd been acquitted. So it wasn't so hard to believe Todd if he was convincing enough. Maybe the jury had gotten it wrong, and Steve did have a history of molesting kids. And Stacy thinks that these allegations from Todd made the Cardins angry and made Sandra angry. And according to Stacy, she believes that Todd's alleged lies could have been what caused Sandra to kill Steve. Yeah, but they already hated Steve, right? The lighting his mailbox on fire, putting a snake in his mailbox, poisoning his dog and worse, all that shit happened before Todd's lies were even in the mix. So they wanted to believe Todd's lies. They wanted to hate Steve even more. And they wanted to have reason to justify hating him and wanting him dead, right? So Sandra admitted being the one to kill Steve. We know that. She confessed. But did she do it alone? Did she have motive to do it alone? What about Chris's hypothetical role in this? Like, after all, he had had this ongoing relationship with Sandra. The two of them together had hated Steve and taunted and terrorized Steve. So maybe Todd was the catalyst that Chris needed to allegedly, maybe, hypothetically convince Sandra to kill Steve, not necessarily because he thought Steve was a child molester. I mean, this was his best friend. He probably knew that Steve wasn't. But just because he fucking hated Steve that much at this time. So Todd tells all of them that dad molested him and that dad beat the shit out of him and was horrible to him. And so now everybody's really believing that dad molested these two little girls. When it wasn't that, they think that's why he was murdered. That it was because Todd stirred all this shit up. And it very well could have been, but I think it was a long time coming and Sandra was just crazy enough to do what Chris wanted. My honest opinion and many of the people that are close to my dad or the whole situation, even people that knew Sandra but didn't know my dad or knew the Cardins but didn't know my dad, they all think she took the fall for Chris. And I still believe that because the prosecutors haven't given us a motive. And it's like, don't you have to have a motive? You you have to have that, right? And they just won't tell me what they think the motive is. Just that she admitted it so they don't have to have a motive. Because she didn't know my dad. I think mean, she knew him, like knew who he was, but she didn't know him like that. But in the eyes of the law, that was that. Sandra confessed. And so the murder of Steve Faison was solved. An open and shut case if there ever was one. Except not really. So many questions remained unanswered. Was Chris involved in Steve's murder? We don't know. Currently, there's no evidence of that. But we do know one other person who was involved in Steve's murder. And that was 34-year-old, made-up name sounding May Blevins, Sandra's friend and Todd's ex-girlfriend. Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. 
because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. In April of 2020, two months after Steve's murder, the Arkansas State Police issued a warrant for May Blevins' arrest. May turned herself in and was charged with abuse of a corpse, tampering with physical evidence, and more. I cannot believe these people. I can't believe people do this at all. Like, I can't believe you're like chilling, you're in your 30s, and you're like, let me involve myself in something like this. We talk about it all the time, but it's like, how the hell? It's like finding one person that does something like this is crazy enough. Like, how are these people finding each other? I don't know. It's insane. So the same charges that Sandra were facing, May was facing just without the capital murder charge. And May was far more cooperative with the authorities than Sandra was. And that's how we know exactly what happened to Steve on the night he was killed. Or at least, of course, we know May's version of events. So according to May, late at night on Saturday, February 8th of 2020, May was at Chris Carden's house, where Sandra also lived at the time. Chris was there, but Sandra was gone. Then May received word that Sandra needed help with something. Chris said he wasn't going to go, but May said she would. It's unclear if May and Chris knew the nature of what they would be, quote unquote, helping with. So next, May went to Steve's house, which was just down the road from her. She parked in Steve's driveway and retrieved three beers, one for her, one for Sandra, and one for Steve. May saw that Sandra and Steve were standing outside, so she walked towards them and asked, y'all need a beer? And that's when Steve, who'd had his back to May, turned around to face her. And at that moment, Sandra used a knife to stab Steve in his neck. According to May, Sandra stabbed Steve approximately four more times in his back. And as Steve was bleeding, he asked Sandra, what did you do that for? And then he died. So heartbreaking. It's horrible. So after that, Sandra and May cleaned the scene to hide what had happened. And then May helped burn Steve Faison's home down. At some point, May and Sandra put Steve's body in a pickup truck. And they knew they were going to take Steve's body to Chris Carden's house. But they didn't have a clear plan of how to hide it. First, they tied cinder blocks around him and tried to sink him in the river. But when they put Steve's body in the boat, with the cinder blocks attached, the boat was so heavy that it started to sink. So they put his body underneath some tires and other garbage in Cardin's dump. After all this had happened, the police put out a warrant for Sandra's arrest. And that's when Sandra confessed. According to May's statements to law enforcement, May believed that Steve had gotten away with sexually abusing children. Which again, wasn't true. And the whole situation kind of felt like a trap set for Steve by Sandra. Sandra didn't seem like she wanted to expose the truth by talking with Steve. She honestly just wanted to kill him. There was a lady that came to me that had gotten arrested and they put her in a cell with Sandra. And she told me that Sandra was reading some of these letters to her and telling her that she killed a pedophile and she's proud of it. And she'd go back and do it all over again. And she has no regret that what she did is worth all the time that she might have to serve, even if she gets the death penalty and all this stuff. If you think this case ends here, you're mistaken. Because on September 24th of 2021, before she was sentenced for Steve's murder, the now 24-year-old Sandra escaped from jail. She enlisted an assistant jail administrator 
27-year-old Abby Strange, who worked at the Perry County Jail. So according to information from the sheriff's office, Abby, quote, turned off the audio to the door alarm and gave Sandra, quote, her keys to where she could open the pod door. Then Sandra hopped in Abby's car and they drove off together. I could never be convinced to do something like this if I worked at a jail. I can't believe people are what? so like easily influenced. It's so wild to me. That is insane. Right. And so Abby and Sandra drive off into the sunset together, but they didn't do anything too scandalous while they were on the lam. But Abby did give Sandra a vape pen with THC in it. So really oh living large. Wow. Really cool. But luckily, an on-duty dispatcher saw a notification that the jail cell door was ajar. And from there, the jail workers quickly deduced that Sandra was missing. And only a few hours later, Sandra and Abby were returned to Perry County Jail. I hope it was worth it. Abby Strange was fired, arrested, and charged for helping Sandra escape. And Sandra faced the charge of felony third-degree escape. And as far as we can tell, both Mae Blevins and Abby Strange are still in the midst of their legal proceedings. So neither of them have been sentenced or anything like that, at least yet. But in April of 2023, 26-year-old Sanda Marie Rappold took a plea deal to avoid the charge of capital murder. Because in Arkansas, capital murder could lead to the death penalty. Instead, Sandra pleaded guilty to first-degree murder, abuse of a corpse, tampering with physical evidence, and arson. She was sentenced to 30 years in prison and will be eligible for parole in 2041. And she will be only 43 years old, which is crazy. She's going to be young still. I know. That's like barely older than us. <laughs> yeah. And like, well, I wouldn't go that far. But <laughs> she can go on to have a full life or go on to commit many more crimes. You know, no, it's like, so scary. It's just crazy. It's it's not enough for no. taking someone's father, you know. So naturally, for Stacy, this isn't enough time. It doesn't feel like enough time, especially for, for the senseless murder of her dad. It doesn't feel like justice. And Stacy suspects that more people were involved in her father's killing. Several Bigelow residents have told her as much, including Mae Blevins, who sent Stacy a text message saying, quote, One day you will get closure. One day I'll be able to tell you. I just can't right now. God, that's infuriating. Oh, my gosh. So, ugh. Stacy thinks that May feared retaliation from the Cardins, which is why May couldn't share more information about Steve's death. And another local indicated to Stacy that at least two other people were actually present during Steve's murder, lurking unseen in the wooded area behind Steve's house. And many are skeptical that Sandra and May could have moved Steve's body on their own. And yet, no one besides Sandra and May have faced legal repercussions for Steve's murder, not even Chris not even as an accessory. It doesn't make sense, you know? I know of cases where there's been people that were just there when a murder took place, not even knowing it was gonna happen and they're charged. And that's kind of the same thing with Chris. So we don't really know why they're not doing anything to him, but we do know, and I even knew this from my dad, that the Cardins have pools. People have speculated that they're into drug trafficking, arms trafficking, and possibly even sex trafficking. And that's a whole nother can of worms. I've investigated enough stuff to know that they were involved and quite possibly may be involved in some of the stuff that's going on in Perry County or that was going on that deals with child sex trafficking. And the sad thing is, Stacy doesn't trust the local police to find justice either. According to Stacy, they're in too deep with the Cardin family. You know, this is small town shit. And her dad, Steve, felt the same way too. 
my dad had told me in like 2015, we're standing outside and he told me that, you know, he had still had several of his belongings down at the cart and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of equipment. I was like, well, you need to get it, dad. You need to call and get a police escort to go down there and get your stuff. And he was like saying that he couldn't, he could not go to the sheriff of Perry County at the time. And I was like, why? He said, because he's a dirty MFer. And dad knew this because dad was involved with the Cardins when they were doing their dirty stuff. I knew he wasn't lying to tell me that they were involved in all of this illegal stuff and the sheriff's office is backing them and involved in it with them. So I think that's part of why Chris Cardin hasn't been arrested or, you know, looked at further. So now that Stacy's dad's murder is officially quote unquote solved, Stacy is waiting on the police to give her the case file. Maybe then she'll finally be able to find some answers. He did not deserve what happened to him. And hopefully someday, Stacy will uncover the full truth about what happened to her dad. For now, Stacy finds solace in that she knows her father was a good man. And through the help of some psychics, Stacy knows that her dad wants her to seek out justice. We were catching hell from all the people in the county, like sending us like messages. Your dad was a child molester and Sandra's a fucking hero. And I mean, people have just came after us, came after our family, like these nobody people of Perry County. And it's been refreshing hearing from some psychics that are actually the real deal. And like, there's no way they could know these things. There's no way this person would talk the way that my dad talks because this lady was in Branson, Missouri, far away from here. And we just went in there spur of the moment for fun. And it was like my dad was talking through her and he was like, I want justice, you know, like I want justice for my kids. I do well talking about it because it's like I feel my dad with me all the time and I know that he's in a good place and he's living his best life. Just have more peace about it. You know, yes, I get emotional talking about it, but like he wants his story to be heard and he wants people to know he was not the man that they are saying he was. At first, justice seems like a straightforward concept. You did something wrong. You must face the consequences. It's easy, right? Well, if only. As we all know, justice is complex. That's why we all have these purveyors of justice, lawyers, judges, law enforcement, and many laws. It's all to ensure that justice is served consistently and fairly in every situation. Justice should be executed with a steady hand. It shouldn't respond to prejudice, recognize bribery, or sway in the wake of human flaws. But sometimes that's just how it happens. People who should be the steadfast holders of justice might falter, or the situation surrounding justice might be nuanced. Whether we like it or not, justice is nebulous. And for some, justice might seem like it's just out of reach. But hopefully, people will come to their senses one day. They'll see that justice is the apex of healing, growth, and even redemption. And perhaps then, justice will be served for all. huge thank you to Stacy for being our first grief for today's episode. If you are listening out there and you have a story to tell, please email us hello at the first grief podcast.com. You can follow us on Instagram, join our Facebook group. We're talking true crime all the time. Join our Patreon if you want some bonus true crime content and come back tomorrow because we'll have a brand new episode of Killing Time right in your feed. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers. And keep your friends close, but not that close.
Shout out to Jared Monica for scoring original music for First Degree, producing by Caitlin Cleveland, writing and research by Andrea Marshbank. Sources for this episode are Ancestry, Justice for Steve Faison Facebook group, Justice for Steve Faison YouTube channel, THV11, Arkansas Democrat Gazette, Fox 16, KVOM, Ancestry, Roller, Funeral Homes, and Arkansas Court Records. And as always, our First Degree guest is always our largest source. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. 